Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Mindful Muslim podcast, a podcast by Inspirited Minds where we discuss Islam, psychology, spirituality, and mental health. Today I was joined by Layinka Sani, a self transformation expert where she empowers women to come home to themselves. And let me tell you, this podcast was one of our most interesting and exciting podcasts so far. We talk about perfectionism, toxic positivity, your relationship with Allah and much, much more. There are so many gems and little treasures that I'm hoping you will be able to apply to your daily life, inshallah. Jazakallah khair for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share. So I would love to welcome our guest today, Layin Kasani. Assalamu alaikum, Layin Khair, for joining us today. Um, so our first question is: Is you know, would you mind telling our uh, listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself, inshallah? Alaikum salam. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Ah, well, um, I'm a self transformation coach. Alhamdulillah. I'm currently based in London, UK, uh, mother of three. Um, often people marvel at the fact that my eldest is actually a man. Um, he's over 18. Um, and alhamdulillah, I'm... Wow. I'm... <laughs> okay. Yeah, that response. I had no idea. Sorry. I just... Mashallah. Wow. Mashallah. You don't, you don't look like you're a mother to an 18-year-old, you know. Mashallah. May Allah preserve you. Allahumma ameen, ya Rabbi. Yeah, so and I, and I support women to um, come home to themselves and become the next best version of themselves. And I'm quite, um, I'm quite specific in that language in terms of the best, the next best version in the sphere of personal development and working on yourself. We always hear people say the best version as if we reach a point and then we're done um but the reality of this dunya and the reality of life is that we are continuing we will continue to evolve and to get better and to become our you know our next version and there will always be something to work on you know the state of us as imperfect human beings is that there will always be something to work on so i prefer and uh, to lean on that language of next best version because the work is never done until we reach our lord subhanahu our lord Mashallah. Mm, um, so, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, being a self tra- self transformation expert? Like, what does that What does that mean? What does the role entail? The the work that I do is really about transformation and transformation, not just on the outside in terms of changing what we do and the actions we take, but changing. And working on and transforming who and how we are. You know, the ayah in the Quran, in Surah Al-Ra'ad, where Allah says that he will not change a condition of a people until they change within what is within themselves. That is pretty much the basis of what I do and the work that I, you know, and the, the way I pr- approach my work, right? And taking that ayah in the Quran, that the change that we want to have is on the inside. And we see it a lot in our deen, right? When Allah talks about the state of the heart, 
and what is within themselves. You know, people doing whatever, what they could do on the outside. But Allah talks about the inner world a lot in the Quran, which really always emphasizes to me that the importance of focusing on our inner world, the importance of focusing on what is going on within us. And that's where I like to start with, with women that I work with. Yes, we can change our actions on the outside. What is the state of our heart though? What is the state of our soul? And that's, that's pretty much the premise of the work that I do. So transforming the self, um, because who you are will always dictate how you are. And that for me is where long lasting change comes from. So that leads me to, you know, a point I wanted to ask uh, regarding one of your videos. So it's titled, I'm like this because of what happened to me. And it's regarding trauma. Um, and, you know, you on YouTube is just such a vibe, mashallah, very frank. I love it. Very, uh, you know, like you're talking to a friend. And you mentioned at the beginning, you know, I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm also not a life coach. Um, you know, so, so why why did you, what inspired you to do, you know, self-transformation and not go down the route of, you know, therapy or becoming a counsellor or becoming a life coach? Hmm. That's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that question before. So that's really, that's awesome, mashallah. Um, um, I've always been intrigued by people and I've always been a person who watches people. So even when I um, called myself an active writer, I would love to people watch and then I would actually write fictional stories based on the people that I see and just create a story based on what I can see of people's actions and stuff. So I've always been curious about why people do what they do and what people do. And one of the reasons why I didn't specifically want to get into psychotherapy and counseling is that I know that I will probably have a threshold in how much, <laughs> I know this sounds really bad, but how much I can um, bear in hearing people complain, right? And not, not wanting to kind of move them into the place of action. There is a place I believe that is a very important place uh, for therapy as someone who was in therapy myself last year and have been in therapy in multiple uh, phases of my life. I adv like I'm a strong advocate for therapy. So I never shoot therapy down. Um, I also know that people get to a point where they've done all the unpacking and now they need to do something else because they get into the, the, the place of just talking and, and, and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and not necessarily doing what's necessary to make start making changes to, to their lives. So um, for me, I knew I wanted to be able to help people, but I knew that f uh, my role wasn't to, to um, be that space of listening in the way that a psychotherapist or a counselor does. I wanted to do something that complemented that, but wasn't that specifically. Mm. So I guess with like counseling, you know, based on my own experiences and just textbook stuff, you know, counselors help you unpack, they help you, you know, understand what's going on, you know, a lot of the times it goes back to childhood and navigate those conversations and process, right, for our audio listeners, you know, quote unquote, you know, uh, process what's happening. So I guess what you're saying is, is, you know, you're the action part of that processing I, I suppose so a lot of your clients are they people who have gone through therapy and then come to you or is it simultaneously or is it people who perhaps have low to 
you know, moderate mental health issues? I mean, do you experience, like, do a lot of your clients experience mental health issues? Because, you know, self-transformation isn't just for those who have mental health problems, right? Mm. So that's a, I love that question because I am very specific about who I work with. And I don't claim to be able to work with everyone. If anything, I signpost people a lot. So where I know that some this person needs a space to be able to offload, to be able to do that unpacking, I send them to a therapist to do that. Because I know that I don't have the offering that they need for that, where someone needs that one-to-one safe contained space to be able to share, to be able to have their words mirrored back to them and, and reflected back to them. That's, that's not the work that I do. And so I signpost people to that. And I can often hear when someone is in this space where they need that, often through the language that they use. So they'll say, you know, I want someone to listen. I want to offload. I want to discuss. Can, you know, I want someone to talk to. When someone says, oh, I want someone to talk to, I said, have you thought about therapy? Because usually I want someone to talk to is, a, is, a, is code for I want to offload and share. I just need this space to be listened to, be, to be heard, to be seen um, in, a, in a safe contained space. And in that, in that regard, I, I happily refer them to people that I trust and know as being amazing therapists. And I sign, and I sign post them to no, like there's no kind of financial anything involved in terms of referral fees or anything. I do that because I know that they're the, you know, they're the people to do that. Um, and I, I don't, I don't hog clients. <laughs> No, I'm not in the business of doing that because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about increasing my bottom line. It's not about um, my earnings. It's about the person who's come to me, who's seeking help and support. What is best for them? And I can happily say, I am not the best person to help you or what I have um, isn't the best thing for you in the place that you're in right now. So some of my clients have gone through therapy um, and they've kind of circled back and come. To, to work with me. Some of them are simultaneously in therapy and they wanted some they want something that complements the, the the safe space that they have so that they can kind of do the work. Um, and some ladies have not been through therapy, but they don't they don't feel like they need a container to just speak. They're like, I've I've done all the speaking in my head already. <laughs> I've done it. I've I've told the story a thousand times. Now I want to start moving towards something. Now I want to start breaking, breaking my limiting beliefs down. Now I want to start un, um, peeling away the layers of all of this mess and resolving it. So um, there are, you know, there are different places, but when someone specifically needs therapy, I refer them. So I don't work with people who have acute mental health issues or in acute depression because what I have does not support that. Um, someone who has acute anxiety, again, what I have doesn't, what, what I offer does not support that. Um, and there are amazing clinicians and practitioners and therapists who work specifically in handling those. Um, so I know what is within my remit and I work within, you know, I stay in my lane, basically. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very big on, on, um, on doing that. Yeah, mashallah. for the, um, the clarification because I mean uh, I have a couple of friends who are life coaches and the amount of times they come to me and say man why do people think I'm some Freudian like you know magician where I can just take away all their problems <laughs> so I imagine you probably get that a lot of people come to you and be like I don't really want to pay for counseling I don't think I need a therapist but I have all this trauma that I need to I need to get through so I can imagine that must be um 
quite frustrating uh, in, in in some ways, but yeah, it's good to it's good to hear about the clarification. It's quite a um, like a distinct uh, ways like modalities of working. Um, I think. Um, so m- moving, you mentioned you briefly touched upon it, um, but you in your introduction you you said that you empower women to. Um, finally come home to themselves um and it's it's no it's no lie that I'm a huge fan of your work Layinka um but you know you're the first person I've heard to say this or coin it in in such a way and I remember the first time I heard it I was like what on earth is she talking about how do I come back to myself like how do I come home to myself what does that mean and I thought this is some weird mambo jambo stuff she's going on about right so I mean after watching your video it makes sense um but can you share a bit more about what it means like how did you come to this like how did you come to coin like your work around coming home to yourself what does it mean I can't take credit for that that phrase. I, I actually got that phrase from a client. She'd been on one of my programs, um, Reclaim and Rise, um, which is a program of self-recovery. And she, I think she got to a particular point, maybe a particular week in the program. And she said, it feels like I'm finally home. Like I finally come home to myself. And I went, oh my goodness, that is the phrase I've been looking for all of these years. Because I find it really hard, if I'm honest, to talk about the work that I do, um, to, to kind of pin it to one specific concept. It, I, I, it's been an ongoing struggle and challenge for me for, for, for many, many years. Um, so when she said that, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's the one. Mm-hmm, that, 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 that is the phrase. Um, and essentially, for us as women specifically, this this is the the homecoming journey or the journey home to ourselves comes from the fact that we as women play so many roles and are everything to everyone. And our role is so, the way we are is so outward, serving the people and nurturing and being there and helping and supporting and all of that outwardness that happens leads us often to forget about ourselves. So our day-to-day is about who we are and how we are for other people. So we can start to see that it starts to erode at um, us taking care of ourselves. Us and, and you know, when people say taking care of ourselves, people don't like women saying, oh, taking care of yourself because that sounds really selfish. But hey, you know, brushing your hair is taking care of yourself. Brushing your teeth is taking care of yourself. Having a shower, giving yourself a a good nutritious meal is taking care of yourself, right? There are so many ways that we forget about ourselves because we are so great at being who and what we need to be for other people. And that leads so many of us as women to losing our sense of self, losing a sense of who we are, losing a sense of what brings us joy, what makes us laugh, you know, what tickles our fancy. You know, to the point that I, I will hear women say, I don't even know what kind, what kind of shoes I like anymore. Or I've lost my sense of style in my home. Or, you know, I don't even know what books I like to read anymore because everything has been about everyone else. And so the idea of coming home to yourself is to reconnect with yourself so that at a base level, you are who you need to be for yourself. At a, like a, you have a wholeness and a fullness 
that you then bring into your relationships, that you then bring into your roles. And ultimately, I believe the way, when we are in a wholesome place within ourselves, that self that we bring to our sajada when we talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's completely different. Because that those dua, that connect, the, the connection, the conversations with Allah, your salah, everything in relation to Allah is is a whole new level. So my dua always is like, Allah, please, I ask you to bring these women home to themselves so they can really be at home with you and and connected with you because that's everything. When you have that connection with Allah, you have everything. You have everything. You know, so that's what homecoming um, and coming home means. Um, it's selfful, not selfish. <laughs> Mashallah. I think you need to get a job. At, um, you know, those apps that you can listen to while she sleep. I feel like I could listen to you forever. <laughs> Linka, honestly, Mashallah. Listen, I've, um, I've reached but, out to um, one of those apps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, let me be a meditation coach. Yeah, I swear I have. Like, let me be a meditation yes. coach. I'll put you your should. people to sleep. No time. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, and that would be the ultimate self-care listening to Layinka, right? <laughs> um, it's really interesting when you were, you know, you're the last point you said about, you know, coming home to yourselves uh, so that you can be at home with Allah. And um, I've been doing a lot of work on <clears throat> flipping the narrative on what, my relationship with Allah is so I think for a lot of our like listeners and uh, and uh, watchers today um they'll be able to relate when I say that growing up my relationship with Allah was very like it was very like linear I was like you do this so Allah gives you goodness okay and it was always like Allah will like this and Allah will dislike this and that's it there was no in between um you know it's like you pray you do your Quran and that's it that's that's only that's only when you will find Allah basically um and you make that and it's only since I got married actually <clears throat> and I was like why is my relationship with Allah only um it only becomes apparent when in, in these very specific situations. So when I'm praying <clears throat> and even, you know, when I am praying, uh, you know, and I'm saying it like it is, we, do, we, we don't sugarcoat on this podcast. Out, out of all those five times that I pray, how many of those times have I actually got khushu, for example? So how close am I actually to Allah in those salah? When I am reading, there's so many other things that are happening in my mind, I don't even know what I'm reading anymore. Dhikr, you know, if and when I do remember, then it happens. Other than that, it's just a tick box activity. Um, and I was thinking, actually this i have no spiritual intimacy and by intimacy i mean closeness and feeling and it's only when i started journaling and it's only when i actually started speaking to allah just generically throughout the day where you know it wasn't only after salah and it wasn't only at specific times because allah is always there regardless of whether or not we call upon him and who who said to only call upon him during these specific times and these specific activities so actually calling upon Allah throughout the entire day just generally whilst I'm cooking whilst I'm studying whatever I'm doing um just talking you know asking of Allah making dua more often um just thinking about Allah as well I don't I don't think we are taught to just think about Allah often enough 
just about who he is, his bounty, his mercy, you know, all of that, the barakah he's put in our lives. And it's actually through doing that more and more, making that like a daily practice, I just generally feel like I'm more aware of myself. Like even though I haven't um, deliberately tried to be more aware of my emotions or regulate myself, like the needle just dropped when you said that. I was like, hang on a second, that makes so much sense. I mean... I mean, do, do you see that a lot? Do you see a lot of women who are working on their relationship with Allah and ultimately that turns into them working on their relationship with themselves? Because one thing I always say is, if you don't know who Allah is, how will you know his creation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for me, my experience actually has been the flip in that when women know themselves, they're appreciation and connection with Allah deepens because for instance you come to know of yourself as a sign of Allah as he mentions in the Quran that we are his signs right like just to think about that like wow I am I am distinctively connected to the Lord of the world and that I am one of his signs and he specifically made me he specifically made a divine decision to bring me to this world he decided that i would set foot in this world and then that that awareness then makes you think whoa and so your conversations when you come to him or when you think about him when you see his creation it's like everything is divinely decreed through wisdom and love and so who do i want to show up as with him for him you know, and so when women have broken, when women start to break down nonsense stories that they have about themselves, that shifts the, their thought about Allah. Because when I say to ladies, if you think you're trash, what are you saying about the Lord of the world who made you? Right? So if you think you're trash, what are you saying about the Lord of the world who made you? Are you saying that he made trash? Are you, is that what you're saying? And even that alone is just like, oh, you know, it just, it shakes the, it shakes the call. Because yeah. we would not uncomfortable laying up. It's so uncomfortable and it's so jarring, <laughs> but then it also it's makes really you check in. It makes you, it makes you, it makes you check in about what you're saying about yourself because it decided, ultimately you're saying something about Allah who made you who decided you're going to be here, who created you absolutely imperfect in the way that you are, you know? So alhamdulillah, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm always grateful when I read like ladies celebrating their changes, their shifts, their wins, and how there's always a line that equation somewhere. There's always, um, a link in terms of their connection with Allah or their thoughts about Allah, their beliefs about Allah or what they're carrying in terms of what's possible for them because they know that Allah, Allah is able to do all things and not just able to do all things. He's able to do all things for them specifically. So the yaqeen, the, the certainty in Allah and the trust in him skyrockets um and i've i know i know that for myself you know when i've had my low when i've had my low moments or i have my low moments because we all let's just be real we all have our highs and our lows when i have my low moments um i, I and i check in and i question myself and i give myself a good shoulder shaking you know i i can see how that has been 
or does impact my conversations with Allah. Um, and so the beautiful thing is that they are, I do believe that they are in, you know, intimately linked, but I will caution. And I do want to say <clears throat> that I don't advocate for the narrative that if you are struggling with mental health, or if you are struggling with anxiety or depression, then that is a, that is a sign of your lack of tawakkul or your lack of iman or a deficiency in you as a believer. I do not hold that narrative. Um, I think that level of spiritual shaming is extremely damaging. It doesn't help the believer either in getting wellness within themselves or closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If anything, it just increases their level of shame. So I, I do want to put that out there because even though I say that there's a relationship between the work that we do and our relationship with Allah, it's not that we have a lacking in our relationship with Allah and that's why we're struggling. We're struggling because we're human. <laughs> that's, and that, that's the thing. I agree with you. And it's, I think it's a contributing factor. Like we can't disregard that. You know, for example, when you do pray, you do feel a lot better than when you didn't pray, right? And that is the essence of worship, essentially. That's what Allah has promised us. So it's, you know, like you said, we can't disregard that there is a relationship. However, we also can't say that this is the only reason why you are experiencing, you know, X, Y, Z, or you're experiencing anxiety or, or depression. So yeah, I think you're you're absolutely spot on and that kind of like it's a good segue into my next question which is about trauma she's gonna go right into it <laughs> um so you bring up trauma um, <laughs> um you bring up trauma quite a lot uh, a few times uh, in some of your instagram videos especially in youtube shorts um what what what's what is the relationship like do, do because the more I work in, in mental health, the, the years that I have worked in mental health, tr about 80 to 80, in fact, all of the people I've ever worked with, there's, there's trauma somewhere. Something really terrible has, has happened and it's really traumatic and they are trying to recover from that trauma. Now, do you talk a lot about trauma in, in your self-transformation? Is there a big link between, um, you know, do a lot of Muslim women experience trauma? I'd love to get your opinion because you know what in one of your videos you said that the longer you stew in your trauma the harder it's gonna be to, to get out you mentioned something like that in in one of your um videos and that was like a really I just imagine myself in a big pot <laughs> of all the bad things that have happened to me and I'm like how often do I sit in this pot yeah yeah so I'm I'm a big believer that every single human being has experienced something that the body has noted as traumatic. Whether we recognize that event as traumatic or not is is not the point. The point is that the you know the body it lives in the body and the body recognizes it and the mind re registers it as as traumatic. So something really simple. I've used this example so many times and people kind of just people often kind of just like what. But something as simple as a child, let's say a 2-3 year old child getting lost in the supermarket. They lose sight of their parent. In that moment that child that young child's mind is processing loss, is processing abandonment, is processing rejection. That's that's from the vantage point of that child. And 
the body then becomes flooded with with emotions and hormones of feelings of unsafety and at that moment the body registers that as a, a big event right and so anything after that point that seems or feels similar to that even if it's different but the body and the mind register that as abandonment rejection loss then it's almost a, the reawakening of that 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 trauma even though the child the adult you know that the now adult has forgotten about it long long they don't even re remember that event ever happening right the body keeps a score as we know by the popular with the popular book titled the body keeps a score so the body will will or hold on to that emotion because it doesn't get resolved of course it doesn't get resolved at three unless you know you, you have a very tuned in adult who's talking the child through that event and helping them unpack it and etc etc but most of us didn't have that kind of environment growing up things happened and we just moved on right <laughs> and so so many of us um adults now right so many of us now are adults who have experienced events in our past that our mind and body registered as traumatic even though we can now look at them as adults and say that was not a big deal just that it wasn't anything and it didn't even impact it didn't even impact me it wasn't anything um but for the young mind or for you know that developing mind the beliefs it's the beliefs that are planted beliefs such as i must not be loved i am not good enough they didn't love me they didn't they didn't cherish me i'm not worthy of being listened to held seen whatever it might be and these this is the issue not the event itself it's the beliefs that we develop as a result of the event. So I know personally, as a child that went into foster care um, at a very young age, um, I, I know that I developed specific beliefs and feelings about myself uh, in terms of being worthy and being loved. And that being issues, those be beliefs being those that I have been, I've I'm spent years unpacking and reframing and just kind of dismantling and rebuilding to something more useful. So I know that, it, you know, my parents did the best that they could. They were in a situation where they needed me to be somewhere else. It was not a fault of their own. They loved me, they cherished me. I even have evidence that they loved and cherished me. But that three-year-old Leinka, she didn't think that because she couldn't, she didn't have the reasoning to think that. All she could see was the evidence of their like their behavior and their choices, and developed she developed a belief about herself that then went on through life. And so I see this this is kind of like my focus when I talk about trauma or what happened to us, not the event itself. And some people get really annoyed when I say, "I'm not really interested in your story." I'm interested in the belief that you developed as a result of your story. It's like, but, but I want to share, you know what? Yes, you do want to share your story. There's therapy for that. I want to know mm -hmm. as a result of what you went through, as a result of what happened to you, what did that leave you thinking about yourself? How did that leave you feeling about yourself? And how is that showing up and manifesting in your life now and the impact it's having in your life? Because that right there is what we dismantle. What, you ha what happened to you, we can't change that. 
what they did to you, what they said, what they said about you or said to you. We can't do anything about that, but we can do something about what you believed and what you felt as a result of that. So I, I make a massive distinction because people can stew. When I say stewing in the trauma, that's like reliving the event or retelling the event. They did this. They said this this happened to me and this and that. And it's just a swimming in the story, but not actually um, getting on the ship to sail out of it and to be able to see it for what it, for what it was. You know, just sailing in that, swimming in that, drowning in it for some people um, that they didn't love me, they abandoned me, they rejected me, et cetera, et cetera. They abused me. And that then becoming also for some for some people their identity. They identify themselves through the through the events that they experienced. So for those who have experienced abuse, now that becomes their identity. The one who has been abused, meaning the one who can never be loved again, the one who is tarnished and too dirty um, to to have. A, a, maybe a beautiful romantic uh, marriage or relationship again do you see so that's why I guess that's why I can be triggering when I say things like stewing in your trauma and living in your trauma and staying in your trauma um, because I've seen so often how people can just stay in that place swimming in that place and not moving to the island of beauty and newness and openness and opportunity that that is open to them that is possible for them I feel like I'm stewing in all your words right now mashallah a little bit mind-blown <laughs> um it's <laughs> the, the 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 gist that I'm I'm getting is actually people do have the power to to flip the self-narrative that they're telling themselves and I know from personal experience I spent a lot of years saying this is the way it's always going to be I'm always going to be like this there's no point in getting help because I'm never going to change like all these things happen to me because I deserved it and you know that that's just the way it is and it's only very recently that I was able to say uh, change doesn't seem so bad it's a bit scary but maybe I can make it happen um so just out of curiosity like how how would you help someone you know, like I know you said you focus on the belief um you know which was really profound to me mashallah I know you focus on the the belief uh that is the result of what happened to someone in their story how how would you help them get on this ship how how do you help them get to this island so it's always about first about awareness because we can't fix what we don't know so that awareness piece is always the first part that also is the scariest for many people because it makes things real number one it makes things real in terms of really having to face these events or these experiences that for many people have they boxed them away and kind of like buried them deep and just told themselves I'm over it you know, and, and I've, it's happened and it's, you know, mm. I shouldn't be stewing. I shouldn't be thinking about it. So that kind of like, um, coming to it again and seeing mm -hmm. this is what, this is what happened. This is what you experienced. This is, this is what they said. And also that, um, that awareness of then starting to see the truth beneath it, the truth of 
what they are thinking, what they are feeling, what they are saying, the patterns of their behavior that are pointing to those feelings, those beliefs, those, those things at the root. Um, because it's interesting when people come, they, they, they often language things just based on symptoms. Oh, I don't really feel good about myself. Okay. You don't feel good about yourself. And then when we, when we start digging to raise their awareness, I don't feel good about, they, they've, they realize that I don't feel good about myself because of my history with my father. And when he used to say certain mm. things about me. And so then we look at the history of the father and what he used to say. And my questions are very, very specific, as you've kind of heard um, already. And what have, you, what have you allowed that to mean? But not just what have you allowed that to mean, what have you allowed that to mean about you? So my clients have like a bank of Lienka questions <laughs> that they tend to now use in their journaling practice because I've asked them these questions so often that they've, they've kind of like trained themselves to be able to do some self digging and to, to be able to come to their own self-awareness. And for me, this is a big thing. I love working with people and I also don't believe in anyone being anyone's crutch. So I don't want to be a crutch for anyone because I feel like everyone has the ability to fly without me. I mean, I'm going to pass away at some point. Right. <laughs> so, you know, um, but I, I, so I like to empower people with these questions that they can start to ask themselves and start to start to check in with, with themselves. Um, and so that awareness piece is really important. Getting to the roots of things, knowing that these are the, these are the beliefs, these are the feelings. And then we move into the process of, okay, this is what it is. What is it that you want? That's really important. What is it that you want in relation mm -hmm. to this. And I always get people to look at it from what they want rather than what they don't want. Because you know, we're great at saying, oh, I don't wanna feel like a failure. Oh, I don't wanna feel bad about myself. Or I don't wanna feel like this. <laughs> and, all, and people think that they're saying what they want, but they're actually just languaging what they don't want. Um, and, and what they wanna move away from. And I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right and we 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 are we're, we're great at doing that and i and i say to people that's great and what do you want instead of that if you don't want to be in a space of loathing yourself and hating on yourself what do you want oh i want to love myself okay girl that's that's where that's the that's the destination island right that we're moving towards it's not the ultimate destination because life is in this dunya allah will send us tests <laughs> right but it's it's the next destination for you. Okay, you wanna you wanna you wanna love yourself, right? You wanna like yourself. What does that look like? How will that show up? So I start to get people to imagine it. What does a, a version of you who likes herself look like? How does she show up? How does she speak to herself? What does she look like in relation to other people? How does she show up with other people? So it's it's a really beautiful process mm. of empowering people, empowering ladies to reignite hope and belief in what's possible and belief in what's possible with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm. because ultimately is it is only with and by the permission of Allah that we get anything in this world, right? And so moving from that place of, okay, this is what I want. Now, what do I need to dismantle? 
these beliefs, these feelings, and we there's there's a multitude of processes that we would use to 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 do that. There are many routes to the same destination. I don't believe there's only one way. So uh, the 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 way that I might say, or the way that one of my coaches or my team might say, might seem really different, but they're all just different routes to the same destination, in my in my opinion. So I always say to people that there's never just one way. There's never just just like there's never just one way to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, like you mentioned, like talking to Allah in du'a and in salah is not the only way to come closer to Allah. Reading Quran is not the only way to come closer to Allah. Smiling in the face of your brother is one way to come closer to Allah because it's an act of charity and it's loved by Allah. Do you see? You know, it's, the, it's this wild and wonderful world of many ways to get to the to to, to a single outcome. So I let people know that we're good. We're there are so many ways to this to this beautiful island destination that you have chosen for yourself, um, which is really. Um, reassuring because what that does is that it gives ease when we think there's only one way and that way in our mind is really hard then we back off and we're like yeah no i'm checking mm. out <laughs> that's hard but if we know mm. okay i can inch that way it might take me a little longer but i can inch towards that destination mm. through this way or that way it gives us more flexibility and opens us up more to the possibility of change yeah how did that leave you feeling about yourself? And how is that showing up and manifesting in your life now and the impact it's having in your life? Because that right there is what we dismantle. What, you ha- what happened to you, we can't change that. What they did to you, what they, said to- what they said about you or said to you, we can't do anything about that. But we can do something about what you believed and what you felt as a result of that. So I, I make a massive distinction because... People can stew. When I say stewing in the trauma, that's like reliving the event or retelling the event. They did this. They said this. This happened to me. Of myself. That's a that's a really difficult thing to say anyway. Let alone talking about things that actually I want this and I think I would really benefit from this because, like you said at the beginning, it's all about serving, right? And going on from that, I mean. When I asked myself this question a while ago, it was very closely associated to the question of who is my Allah, not just who is Allah in in general, is who is Allah to me? And I think for, you know, for some people, he is a protector. For other people, he is the most just. For a lot of people, he is the most merciful. For me, he is most generous, you know, the the one who accepts repentance and, uh, you know, the owner of Judgment Day. So whoever whoever needs Allah for a specific reason, he can be that, he is that reason, he can be that reason, so uh, for me personally, the, 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 the thing that I'm getting from you is, you know, it's very difficult to know what you don't want, and when you do decide on what you want, there's so many different ways of getting there, and there's so many different ways to apply your relationship with Allah as well, like, Allah can be who you need him to be at various times of the day, regardless of whatever it is, you know, whatever it is in the day. So that's just my little reflection, adding on to it. Um, so, I mean, <clears throat> just going to go delve way more into trauma again, because that's just the way we do it on this podcast. Um, you mentioned, you know, a few times um, that you are a recovered perfectionist. If you don't mind, I'd love to know more about 
what that means and what it meant for you and how did you get to your island oh man you know i didn't realize honestly i didn't realize that i was a perfectionist until one of my closest friends would comment years and years and years ago about the fact that i only ever wrote in a mechanical with a mechanical pencil i didn't i never wrote in my notebooks or journals with a pen she 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 picked up on that and she said why do you do that why do you never write in pen and i thought that was just a nonsensical question to be honest i was like what a dumb question in my head i didn't say that to her i just thought what a dumb question it makes complete sense to me to write in um in pencil because if i write in pencil i can rub it out and that response in my head was like oh wait I can never just write a line because if I write, have to draw, like draw a line through, I will legit rip the whole page out and start again. That's when I knew I had an issue. (laughs) That's when when I knew that I had an issue with perfectionism. And at that point I, I did like a highlight reel of my life of the decisions that I would make things that I wouldn't go for. Um, because of it needs to be perfect or I need to be perfect. I will not apply for that job Mm. if I don't have all of the qualifications and all of the traits and everything on the list. Because if I don't have one or Mm. two of those things, then I'm obviously not going to get the job. Right. It, Mm. it blew me away when I, when I, um, when I came to that realization and it also showed up in motherhood my perfectionism in how it played out with my two eldest and my decisions that they had to have things like this and things had to be like this and if it wasn't like this then it there was it was just not good enough miss Keen, you know i've already set aside a therapy fund for my eldest two because the liinka who mothered them <laughs> yeah they got things to talk about with their therapist <laughs> i have no i have no qualms in saying that yeah i've got a therapy fund for my kids because they're gonna need to talk to someone at some point um but yeah it's 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 um it's beautiful to be on this side where i can see my youngest who's now um seven but when she was younger she would like write in my um journals or my planners and things and it was interesting to see the distinctive shift in that I was okay. I wasn't freaking out, throwing the whole thing in the bin, ripping out the page, getting upset. I, I saw it as just an expression of her creativity, um, which the previous version of Lienka would never have done. Um, and just those little shifts allowed me to see and embrace the fact that I'm entirely imperfect. The fact that I now write in my journal with a pen, that I can write in my journal and scribble things out and put a line through and be okay with things being the best that they can be rather than being perfect. And that's the that's the shift. And I, I say to clients, and they don't like me saying it because it jars them, 
but perfection is the lowest standard we could ever set for ourselves. The lowest standard, because it's a standard we can never ever attain. Perfection is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when we say, say that we need things to be perfect or things have to be perfect or we have to be perfect, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment, a standard that can never be met. And so being a recovered mm. perfectionist is a, my way of saying, I know that life, I lived that story. I know how sometimes it might creep up on me. How did that leave you feeling and present yourself? itself as an option? And how for is me? that? I'm not going to say that it doesn't in your life now. And, and those moments I have to put my hand on my right chest there is what and take dismantle. a deep breath in and say, what you okay, have, you, what happened to you? Good. We can't change We're okay. That. What Things they did to you, okay. what they said, to, we can we can submit that like that. We can't do anything about that, but we can do something and can walk away from the lead and what you felt. it's my way of saying I know. So I make a massive distinction. I feel someone who has been on the side people can when I say stewing in the trauma on me that's like reliving that it's it's lifelong or retelling the event completely okay they did this they said this this happened to me wow a pencil really I feel like writing a pen is just so much nicer right (laughs) my old journals my old journals are all filled with pencil like pencil entries that none of them have pen none of them so yeah alhamdulillah for growth I was actually looking at your letter that you wrote to the 10 year old self and I'm thinking hey that was in pencil as well (laughs) Um, I can't can't relate to the perfection but just you know one thing that stayed in my mind is when you said you know you for example you wouldn't apply to a job if you met all of the criteria right Um, do you even though it's like a double-edged sword because you're, you're setting yourself up for failure but is, do you think perfectionism is rooted in a fear of failure? Yeah, I think, um, I feel like perfection is rooted in not just a fear of failure, but in a belief that we're not good enough. <clears throat> and from that root that we're not good enough, we almost have to prove that we are. And we can only prove that we are when things are perfect. And when we are perfect and we do things perfectly. And I know there are, you know, there are roles and jobs that require a high degree, like high standards, almost to perfection, such as, you know, the medical profession, when you are taking care of other people's lives and health and well-being, there is a very high standard. So it's not it's not unknown to find people in those roles as being underlying perfectionists just because of the role that they play and the jobs that the job that they have. Um, But that feeling and that belief that I'm not good enough and if I'm not good enough, then I'm going to fail and it's not going to work out and et cetera, et cetera. It's that I feel like they're enmeshed in some way. So that fear of failure coming from the belief that I'm not good enough. And if I were good enough, then I won't fail. Whereas failure is a part of life and failure is um, an opportunity, as I like to frame it. It's an opportunity to uh, another door that you could uh, you wouldn't be able to get to otherwise. It's growth, I think. And I think it's really interesting how um, this I'm not good enough can present and surface in so many different ways. Like, I'm far from a perfectionist, but I am a bit of a control freak. 
Um, I like to plan things to a T. Um, I like to know exactly what time I'm going somewhere and who's coming and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, if my day doesn't go to plan, then the world is going to just shatter. Um, and when I did a bit of work around that, again, it went back to if if I don't have my stuff together in a normal day, then that means I'm not good enough. I've done something wrong because I haven't been able to organize my day properly. Or if this plan didn't go according to plan, I didn't plan it well enough because I'm not good enough. So I just, I think it's subhanAllah, it's quite, it's so interesting how a belief like that can display as in so many different ways for so many different people. And it just goes to show, you know, the appreciate the, um, you know, the, the, what that word am I looking for? The differences in people that um, Allah has, has created is, well, subhanAllah, it's, uh, it's amazing, uh, really. Um, so you, you mentioned it just, you know, briefly now um, about uh, reframing how you look at things. Um, and in one of your videos, it's called Why Isn't It Working? I think, um, you you gave the scenario of a lot of women who come to you say you know they've done all of this work but nothing's working and you said something that really struck a couple of chords with me and it was like you know you look at this as a as a invitation from your lord to dig deeper and i had to pause it and i was like i need to think about this what does this mean <laughs> so can you can you elaborate on what it what it means what did you what do you mean by that how how, how can someone who feels really hopeless, consolidate their, their hopelessness with, with what you're saying, with this phrase that it's an invitation from Allah to dig deeper. Yeah. So that really comes from seeing so many women that I've worked with um, or women who approach me who've done quite a lot of inner work in other, you know, with other people um, feel like they're failing or, or shaming themselves for not being there yet. Shaming themselves for still still being triggered and still being, you know, um, affected by something that someone might say or do or something that's happened. So knowing and hearing women shaming themselves for being a human being, I, <laughs> I felt, okay, let's talk about this because my, my view is that when, um, when we are being triggered by something, there might be something there still for us to work on, for us to get curious about, for us to know. And that opening is only from Allah. That awareness is only from Allah. That is why I call it an invitation. So if you have, you know, if you've kind of been working on your relationship with a parent and you've done quite a bit of work around them triggering you and you have a family gathering and your mom says something or your father says something and that triggers you and now you're like oh gosh I've done this so many times I've spoken about this issue so many times why am I not better there might still be something there for you to heal there might be a gem and a nugget that you have yet to realize and recognize and that then that trigger instead of being this point of shame could be a point of invitation and opportunity and it's just this new way of looking at a single situation because we can look at anything in the way we want, right? Anything can mean anything. So your mom speaking to you in a certain way could mean that you are a terrible daughter or that she doesn't love you or um, that your relationship is, is trash with her. It could mean whatever. 
Or it could just mean that she's having a really bad day. It could mean that she's struggling with her own emotional and mental well-being right now and she doesn't have the capacity and she's at full capacity with with life and so she doesn't know how to speak to you in a regulated way. It could mean anything, but the meaning that we choose to give it is the meaning that we hold on to and that we respond to. So if in that interaction you're getting triggered and you see it as okay, not a failure, but an opportunity, then the way you approach that incident, the way you reflect on that incident or journal on that incident, the way you speak about that incident is going to be very, very different because you've decided to give it a particular meaning. Um, so that's that's pretty much what I meant by by that, because when we see it as an opportunity and an invitation, then we will approach it as that. When we see it as a point of failure, then we're not going to approach it. We're going to run from it because we're shaming ourselves. Mm. Mm. Do you think that that's something that will ever stop happening in someone's life? Do you think it's possible to completely heal from an event or experience? When people say that, um, completely heal, I think often people, we say it, we say it as if that event will completely disappear from our life or it will disappear from our life or we'll never think about that. Um, ever and I don't I don't think that's accurate nor do I do nor do I think it's um, true just like when we have physical pain we always have reminders of our physical like a, a physical event that happened to us you know we've got scars and and bumps and and things like that so you oh what where'd you get that scar from oh yeah you know when I was three years old I fell down the step and I cracked my head open or something like that right it's that reminder that that thing happened but it's a it's a case of I can speak about it I can say that this is part of my history this is something that I experienced but I'm not impacted by it in the to the point that it throws me off into an emotional dysregulated state that I can't get out of. Because sometimes I feel like there will be something that reminds us of something. So someone might say something to you that is similar to the way your father spoke to you that was degrading and your mind remembers that, your mind has got that association and in that moment you feel like, oh my God. But it's a case of if that spirals you into that place or if you can recognize okay, yeah, this doesn't feel good, I'm safe, that's not my dad, it's not the same thing. So will we, will we be triggered in life? I believe that we will, and I think that's a human condition, and I think that's actually okay. Do we have to spiral and, and kind of um, be, be in, a, in a dysregulated place that we can't get out of, or in a place that is counter to the people that we want to show up as no because we always have instances where we fly off the handle for instance you know and alhamdulillah for me like when I when I have a moment with my son he <laughs> it's funny he'll say mama you're right are things tough right now <laughs> you know <laughs> and I love that because it, it, he he kind of like re reminds me like yeah, it's not about this mess, is it, though? It's about something else. <laughs> and that, for me, is that opportunity to kind of go back to myself or go back to my journal or whatever it is, my practices that I use 
to 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 find out okay what is really going on for me mm. that's really interesting yeah i think um you know living before i got married um i never I, I, I live in a very typical uh, Asian household, alhamdulillah. Um, but mental health obviously isn't spoken about in the homes. Um, and I never really had anyone checking in and be like, ah, are you all right? Um, and since being married, I think when I'm like overworking and I'm hunched over my desk, my husband will just stare at me and be like, um, something doesn't quite look right. I think you need to take a break. And at first I used to be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I know myself. Stop. I'm the mental health professional here. Okay, I know how to look after myself. Don't tell me what to do. And now, <laughs> and now I'm like, you know what? This is an invitation. I'm like, there's a reason why he said that. He wouldn't say that just to annoy me. There's a reason, and I need to understand what that reason is. That I could, yeah, just applying it to my own life. What you're saying, and and Subhanallah, <clears throat> it's, it just rings rings true, and I'm sure it will for um, a lot of people. Um, but as, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, okay, what's the deeper layer here, you know, trying to apply your words. Um, and I'm actually reading a book called, um, Unshamed by Caroline Springs. And she's, um, she's a child abuse survivor and she basically her entire book without doing any spoilers, her entire, well, I have, I haven't finished reading it yet, but the vast majority of her book is basically talking about, the hold that shame has on every single human experience. Um, and for her, obviously, it's all rooted about child abuse, but she was saying her fear is because she was ashamed. She's frustrated because she's ashamed. She's scared because she's ashamed. And for me, that was like, whoa. And I'm just thinking, do you see shame coming up a lot in your work? What what hold do you think or do you see shame has on people's mental health, well-being? And is shame an obstacle that prevents people from getting to that island? Mm, yeah, for sure. Because I know and... for me personally, um, for example, the reason, you know, the reason why, you know, I used to butt my husband's head off is because I used to be ashamed of saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm stressed. I can't handle work right now. Yeah, I... I absolutely feel that shame plays a massive massive and huge role in um in the way we feel in, in mental health and um for me the work around shame has come from a, reading a lot of Brene Brown's work around shame especially in her book um the gift of imperfection where she talks about the importance of share, sharing our shame story because shame in her words mesticize is when we go into hiding and when we keep it to ourselves but the moment we share, share our shame with someone else the the feelings of shame um kind of like unravel and they not unravel they evaporate as it were, and they don't, they no longer have a hold on us. So shame has a hold on us because we keep it to ourselves and we're in that moment and, you know, we're, we're, we're creating a story and it's, it's down to the story that we're, that we're telling ourselves. So in her other book, um, Rising Strong, where she um, directs, directs us to say, to be able to communicate to someone, this is the story I'm telling myself right now. The story I'm telling myself right now is, um, again, sharing the shame that we're that we're stewing or feeling at that moment and that we're experiencing at that moment so that it doesn't have a hold on us. So we realize actually 
this is a feeling that I'm having and this feeling is leading to a story and this story is leading to how I'm interacting with you or showing up or what I'm doing. And so knowing that this is the link, that it is a story that I'm creating as a result of the shame that I'm feeling, then that opens us up to then create a new narrative when we, you know, when we recognize that this is just, this is just shame. And I, I will say that language I don't usually like to use, just I, I typically don't like using the word just because it's very minimizing in um in 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 its usage but I use it specifically there because shame can feel all-encompassing and so using the word just minimizes it to to this little this this little thing here it's not your whole story it's not who you are it's not your entire existence it's this and it's isolated here, you know? And I think that's a, that's quite a powerful distinction to know that this is, an, this is what I'm experiencing and it's not, it's not all of me. It's not my whole narrative. It's not a representation of who I am and how I am and what I'm about and what I, um, what I embody. Um, but shame does definitely come up a lot. The thing is, we don't language it. We don't language it as shame. We just, um, not even just, but we, we language it as something else. Um, and sometimes we don't even language it at all, but we feel it and we might give it another, we might give it another, um, another, another title. So how you talked about fear, when you kind of peel beneath the hood of, of fear, it's actually shame. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, still mind blown. That income, mashallah. <laughs> um, I was just just doing a bit of uh, reflecting as you're saying, and I'm just tying up our conversation. Well, just you know, relating it back to what we previously said about um, you know us and our relationship with Allah, getting to know ourselves more, coming home to ourselves, and a huge part of shame is has all of it is to do with society right and what will people say essentially and what will this person think of me if I say this and oh this isn't acceptable this is not normal in our communities and I think one thing that helped me deal with my shame is actually if I'm not ashamed to stand in front of Allah if I have surrendered myself and all of my shame you know embarrassment and all of my shame to him then that's all that matters who, who cares what his creation says? Because Allah himself has said, you know, he is most merciful. You know, he is the one that holds all beauty. Um, so if I can unshame myself in front of him, then doing it to his creation should be easier. Although most times it's not. But I that that helps me a little bit to, to have those uncomfortable conversations sometimes. It's because I've had this conversation with Allah and that's, that's, that holds more weight right what Allah thinks of me means should mean more than what his creation think of me mm. um can so I can I can I just point to yeah. can I just point to that um because and I, and I hope you don't mind because we that that phrase of what Allah thinks of me should if in that moment like should mean more if in that moment it doesn't that is also a an opening sometimes to shaming ourselves 
in that we we think what Allah thinks of me should mean more theoretically but it's not right now so there must be something wrong with me and that can be uh, a manifestation of shame and instead maybe just coming to that point of surrender that I'm struggling this is a challenge I'm, I'm finding it a challenge and I, I say to, I like to say to my ladies, and I like to say that alchemize what you're feeling into dua. So that moment where you're feeling shame that Allah, like what Allah thinks of you isn't actually at the forefront and isn't the, isn't the priority of your thoughts and feelings right now. Surrender that and alchemize that into dua and say, Ya Allah, help me to make your opinion of me the most important thing to me. Right now it doesn't feel like that, but I'm asking for your help to make it so. And so then you don't stay in a place of shame. You've used that and you've, you've, you've used that and fueled that into your connection with Allah so that you're not stewing in a really shameful place that can be really, really hard to get out of. So you've kind of taken your st yourself out of the shame pool um, onto a new shore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's, yeah. I mean, if even if no one else benefits from this podcast, I know I have. Alhamdulillah. So Sahlahem for pointing pointing that out. That is interesting. I'm gonna keep a mental note of that. Um my next question was gonna be around um a topic that's becoming more and more apparent, uh, more and more current, quote unquote, untrendy, um, is toxic positivity. Um and I saw a really interesting Instagram post the other day, um and I based a whole halaqa around it, actually, because I was like, oh, no. Um, and it was this, you know, this post that basically said um, this, basically challenging the saying, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. But, you know, if you're busy watering the grass on your side, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't bother to see what's on the other side or something like that. Um, and when I was doing a halaqa around, you know, remaining positive and optimism and, you know, balanced positivity, you know, I went back to the quote about, you know, um, love and fear and hope in Allah, you know, the famous quote by Imam Ghazali. <clears throat> and one of the girls in the halaqa, she said, um, oh, I feel like nowadays if something goes really terrible in life, it's okay because I'll just put it on Instagram. I'll put like a peace sign up and stick my tongue out and it's, it's okay. That's vibes. And I was just so, I was so taken aback. I was like, what on earth is happening? <laughs> like, what? It didn't make sense to me. Um, so I mean, what's your thoughts on toxic positivity? What's the difference between optimism and being toxic about the future and having... I don't know, too much positivity, if that's a thing. I'm not sure. I love that question. Oh, my goodness. I love that question because I tell people all the time, I am not out here promoting toxic positivity. You know, I talk about, and as you've come to see, the, the point about being able to change how we see things and being able to shift our focus and being able to change the trajectory of our decisions based on the thoughts that we have. People often think that that means whenever something happens, just put a, just put a positive um, spin on it, just put a positive uh, label on it, just, and, and then not see anything that's going wrong in your life. Listen, if it's raining outside, I am not gonna say 
that it's sun it's sunny it is raining outside i can declare and acknowledge the fact that it is raining now how i choose to feel as a result of it raining is a different thing right but i can say that life right now is not rosy life right now is actually really hard it's really challenging i am in survival mode i'm not thriving right now i'm at my bare minimum and i'm doing the best that i can that is not negative that is actually real that is a real um declaration and acknowledgement of what is going on I find it very, very problematic where people deny what they're feeling when it's not positive. When people deny the fact that they're sad, when people deny the fact that they're frustrated, that they're feeling down, that they're feeling low, that they're feeling whatever that isn't positive. I find it really problematic when we just uh, pretend and for me, that's delusion. That is delusion. Um, and also, I feel it is a form of self-denial. Denying the self of the full human experience, which is the high and the low. And I love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us a beautiful example in the Prophet ﷺ, where we saw when he got angry, when we saw when he was joyful, when we saw when he was sad, when we saw when he was crying, when we saw, we saw all spectrums of emotion from the Prophet, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, right? We saw all, all spectrum of emotion from him, which allowed us, which allows us to see emotions are very much part of the human experience, the amazing of them and the not so amazing of them. The issue isn't about the emotions, it's what we do as a result. So the Prophet ﷺ directed us what to do when he said, don't get angry. Don't get angry because from anger, it can destroy things, right? So sit down. You can feel like you're not happy, but sit down so that you don't knock the person's teeth out, right? So it's not that you don't ever get, change, change the state so that you don't act on that state. So when we talk about positive, like um, sad emotions or bad emotions, it's about how we act and what we do as a result of that. So yeah, I can say that life is really challenging right now, but I'm not going to go and harm anyone as a result of that. And I'm not going to harm myself as a result of that. I'm going to take that to, to, to dua. I'm going to take that to my journal. I'm going to take that to be able to use it as fuel for something else, but I'm not going to end up harming myself or anyone anyone else so i i personally tell tell my clients i always tell them give yourself permission to feel you're not feeling great give yourself permission to feel recognize it acknowledge it and then decide what do i want for myself right now and what do i need right now so if right now you're finding life hard or you you are in a sad state acknowledge you know what i feel sad today i feel sad right now i don't feel great right now and then asking yourself, okay, what do I need or want for myself right now? I actually want to go and lie down. I want to go and have a meal. I want to go for a walk. What do I need right now? I need to have a call with a friend. So do you see how we honor ourselves with our human self of the, the human experience of being able to feel? And then using that acknowledgement to decide, okay, what do I want right now? 
Maybe what you want right now is to go to bed, okay. But you're now doing it from and with purpose rather than just staying in bed all day, doing nothing and then shaming yourself for it. So there's a there's a real distinction um, there. So I, yeah, I am not about posit- positive toxic, uh, to- uh, um, toxic positivity. I'm not here for it. I don't advocate it. I find it very damaging because also it stops us from turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I'm saying everything is fine, everything is fine, everything is fine, everything is fine. How do I reach out to Allah and say, Ya Allah, I need help. Allah, I'm struggling. Please support me right now. Take this load. It's too hard for me to bear. I can't do that if I'm not acknowledging that I'm not in a good place. What is your um, opinion on how Muslims try to be toxically positive so for for example i was once working with somebody and i feel like you know being a mental health professional i feel like half of my education was through working with with actual people and not through like you know college university anything like that um and um you know she was saying um you know what what i learned from this interaction with her was muslims tend to have this tendency of over glamorizing and romanticizing islam so oh i'm having a bad day don't worry yeah allah said you're you know after every the, you know after every hardship disease um you know oh don't worry allah doesn't imagine a soul with more than you can bear allah tests those he loves the most and it's like okay you're telling me this what does this mean? Practically, what does this mean? Um, so that's, you know, whenever I do use these, uh, you know, you know that I, for example, um, you know, Allah doesn't burden our soul with uh, more than it can, but I tell people underneath that is resilience. You know, Allah is telling you that you have the resilience, you have the tools, you have the ability to deal with, you have the means to deal with whatever it is you're dealing with. Otherwise, I wouldn't test you. So it's not just about like, oh, you know, Allah knows me. So I can obviously deal with it because Allah is testing me. No. Yeah, obviously. But also Allah has given you the means. He's given you tools. That's why he's testing you. You know, after every hardship, there's ease. I tell people your ease is coming, but you have to go look for it. Do you know what I mean? Allah, Allah is saying your ease is coming. It doesn't mean he's just going to serve it on a silver platter for you. You know, he's done his bit. Where's your bit? You see what I mean? So what's your opinion and take on that? Oh man, you know, some of those ayat, it frustrates me when people use them at a point when people are not hearing them and not not able to receive them. So, you know, someone's just lost a loved one um, and you use one of those ayat with all good intentions and purposes and, and from a place of love and from a place of wanting to console them and help them. But, you know, right now, all they really need for you to do is just to be there and to just be a listening ear and a safe space for them. That, that's actually what they need. They, that's all they need. That ayah is going to be useful for them most when they're at that bridge of wanting to take a step forward. Because at that moment, they're not hearing it. And so that's why it feels jarring in the moment. Because you're not at the place to receive. Maybe at that point, you don't need someone to... Um, give you these beautiful reminders and they are reminders and they and they can be heart softeners for the heart that's at the point where it can see that and receive it um it does frustrate me when i i think sometimes actually it points to when we when we share those ayat it points to our challenge and struggle to sit with someone else's pain our struggle to just be there and listen. 
we want to fix we want to change the situation. I've recently, um, with, with a with a group of clients that I'm working with, um, we we've just read a book called Listen, how to how to find the words uh, for tender conversations by Catherine Maddox, and it is so profound how many of us f- feel and think that we're listening, but we're actually not. We're actually in the in the in the place of trying to just fix people and fix the situation. Not just because we want to be helpful, but because we actually are struggling to sit with people's pain and to sit with people's struggles and to sit with the reality that things aren't doing great. (laughs) And so when we, when we throw, not throw, when we offer those ayat, when we offer those, you know, those suggestions, maybe at that point, we might want to check ourselves in terms of which part of me is offering this because I am struggling to sit with this and this yeah, is uncomfortable is. for me. Yeah, wow. That that's interesting. I'd never thought of it that way. I just always thought it was down to ignorance, but you know, that's why you're the self-transformation coach. <laughs> <laughs> um it's interesting uh th- that book that you mentioned you're reading um in your in your group i, I think i've i've t- i think i read it a while ago i can't quite remember um but do you i mean it's it's not completely related um but it just made me think about you know you obviously only work with women i'm assuming right mm, yeah yeah um so in that, because so, obviously what you said at the beginning, you know, women are service, they're fixes, they're the ones that come up with the solutions, they, it's always for everything else. A, I guess part one of my question is, is um, do you think women tend to offer solutions more? And B, because of their roles, do you think women shy away or find it difficult to talk about their problems? I think, it, I, I don't know if I could generalize and say women offer, uh, want to fix more because the natural disposition of men actually is to fix and to find solutions. Um, for, for women, um, yes, some women are like that and they, they, want to, um, they want to find solutions and they want to fix and they, they, they want to get to the other side. Um, but I, I, a part of me sometimes feels like that isn't, um, that isn't necessarily our natural disposition. Um, because if we think about what they say, uh, you know, the cavemen, men were the hunters and women were the gatherers. So women were the ones who did the nurturing and the taking care of things and things like that. And the men were just the one, the men were the ones that made sure everyone stayed alive. They were the protectors. They were the ones that got the, got the food and made sure everything was safe. And so in seeing a problem, the man will want to fix it because he wants to keep his family safe and it's for the survival of the, you know, of the tribe and, and the people. Um, and the women were the, the nurturers and the taking care of things and the, and things like that. So I think we do have our, we do have our strengths and, but I wouldn't say that all women are the ones who kind of typically want to go and fix. Um, but we are the one that people come to to fix <laughs> we are the one that people come to and the roles that we have um as mothers and sisters and cousins and and wives mother you know all of the different roles that we play and also gender traditional female roles uh, they are things that there's a problem and a woman is like the woman is fixing the problem you know 
so yeah, to that to that question, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't kind of put a blanket. Um, the second question, could you repeat the the second one? Because um, I've forgotten because, it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because of the roles that you just said, do you feel, or do you think, or from your observations, do you think um, women are less likely or shy away from speaking about their problems because they're so, uh, you know. Um, fixated on helping and supporting other people and being there for other people and serving other people Hmm. see I I I typically see that with men Mm. but I think that's a societal thing Mm. I think women are better at speaking about their issues if they have the safe space to do so Mm. um and there are there are more provisions I feel they have being traditionally more provisions for for women to speak so if we think about like traditional gender roles men go out and you know earn and the women are at home nurturing the women are the ones that would gather with their friends right that they, they would be around people a bit more um in a more social way than men traditionally would think of being because you know we're out here working and hustling and bringing home the money and so because women have more time to be gathering around with cups of tea and talking and, and things like that, that's where things would be offloaded and that's where those communal spaces would be shared. Um, whereas the, the traditionally it's not been set up like that for men. So I do feel like women actually have greater opportunity and have been taken greater opportunity to speak about their problems. Where a woman might be struggling to talk about her problems is where she's stewing in shame or where she has had a history of being shut down uh, or history of um, being told that, well, I was able to do, you know, maybe from the women folk in her family, I was able to raise four kids on my own. What's your problem? I was able to do this. And don't you know auntie so-and-so and don't you know sister so-and-so and cousin so-and-so and what's your problem? So when they feel like they're going to be shamed and not be seen and heard, absolutely a woman will shut it down because they're now comparing themselves to these other great women who were able to shoulder the world and carry on. And it, just to that point, actually, it reminds me of the, the, the movie Encanto, where you had Louisa, who was like the one who shouldered the family burdens and she could not speak because... She felt if she spoke, everything would come crushing down in the family. Everything will crumble. She is the rock. And she is the rock because she is silent. And she bears it all as the big sister. And I remember when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, I feel so seen. I feel so seen. Because that was that was my life. <laughs> you know, that was that was my life where as the eldest, I never complained. I never complained. I, I, sh- I shouldered everything. Um, in my in my family, with my siblings, with my parents, carry on. If you say anything, if you aren't in a good place, if you don't show that you're okay, then everyone and everything's going to come crumbling down. So if you have a history of that, um, like I did, absolutely, it's going to be harder to speak up, not just speak up. It's going to be harder to say, I need help. It's going to be harder to seek help. And that could be via, you know, friends, family, but also even mental health professionals, um, 
and things like that. It's harder for women in that situation because they don't want to, and we don't want to be seen as weak. Oh yeah, we've got a big ego problem when it comes to that. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, subhanAllah. So, you know, you mentioned one scenario about, you know, being the eldest in your in your family, which is, just ring, I'm sure, wrong true for a lot of our viewers and listeners. But a lot of Muslim women nowadays, you know, we, we're not in those traditional roles. Like, I know I certainly don't have time. I wish I spoke yeah. to my friends every week, let alone have a cup of tea with them. Do you know what I mean? You know those <laughs> memes going around on Instagram where it's like, adult life is you text your friend like, oh, I'm going to be free in six months' time. Can we have a catch-up? Um, so a yeah. lot of women nowadays, you know, mums are busy, mashallah. Mums, just busy being mums, but also a lot of mums are working. A lot of mums look after extended family. You know, uh, students are working part-time. Yeah. You know, women are just working generally more active, busy, uh, have busier lifestyles. So how, and then within that, find it difficult to prioritise, you know, their mental health and, and well-being as well how what what sort of advice would you say to busy women muslim women of today's society how to how how do they look after their their mental health and their well-being and their emotional and spiritual health you know one thing that i feel has um increased over the years um with our busyness is a feeling of loneliness and it's something that we don't want to talk about and we don't talk about enough that feeling of being alone even though you've got people in your life feeling alone even though you've got people in, in in your life and not just because of the fact that we are busy and we're doing um we're doing more and our our lives are more um demanding um but it actually comes i feel from the disconnection that we have from ourselves so people talk about having loads of people around them and still feeling lonely and that's because we still still even we have all of these interactions with people, if we do have interactions with people, um, we don't spend time connecting with ourselves, having that look at ourselves and reflection of ourselves, um, that being alone with ourselves. So you might even be on your own, but when you're on your own, what do you do? You scroll on social media, you watch Netflix, you watch Prime, so you're not actually with yourself. You're still engaging with whatever distraction or numbing techniques that are there because Gosh, for some of us, <laughs> because for some of us, that, that idea, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, that idea of, you know, being with ourselves means that we're going to face all of these things that we're fearful of facing, these things that we don't really want to meet, these things that we feel like they're going to overwhelm us or consume us. So let's just let's just engage in all of these outward things, whatever that might be, even if you're on your own, and then still feeling quite lonely inside. I would say, even with the busy, in and amongst the busyness of life, to carve time for ourselves on a daily basis. And the beautiful thing about us as Muslims, we have, in, like, well, not if you're not praying, but we have um, something that we do as routine, which is salah. And I tell people, don't try to create new habits. 
just out of thin air, attach a habit or attach something to what you already do. So for instance, Salah, a minute, two minutes after you've, um, after you've finished praying, just taking that time to do some deep breathing and to just meet yourself with your breath there can be a really beautiful way to meet yourself and to, to be with yourself. In the mirror, you're brushing your teeth in the morning. That can be the, the time that you look at yourself in the mirror and you acknowledge how triumphant you have been, <laughs> you know, and, and the things that you have achieved in your life and how proud you are of yourself. So there are so many opportunities to be able to just meet ourselves and that's what it is to meet ourselves um so that that feeling of you know loneliness doesn't consume us and we're not consumed by uh the busyness of the busyness of life um yeah i just think it's so interesting how when you were giving these examples i was saying to myself wow that sounds really uncomfortable like looking at myself in the mirror in the morning, mm. you know, why would I do that? And sitting with myself and breathing after mm-hmm. some time, you know, a minute, that is way too long. Like you know, forget a minute, 10 seconds is, is too much. Um, and I, you know, I think I, when, when you were attacking me, I was feeling, you know, social media, Netflix, you know, just even like, you know, doing household chores, for example, even when I don't need to do specific things on a specific day, I'll do it. Um, because it's like, I it's firstly it's escapism. Secondly, it's like sitting with myself is just too much to bear. That's that's somewhere I don't want to go. That's a space I don't want to put onto myself. So yeah, I, I don't know what the point of my comment was, but just to let you know, yeah, I'm sure a lot of uh, viewers will be thinking. I'm feeling. I'm hoping they will think and feel the same. Um, but um, a, a big a big part of meeting ourselves actually is accepting our entire selves as we are right and I really like what you said about not making a habit out of thin air um because it's almost like we're already busy why add something else to your plate right it's like you know you just work smarter not harder isn't it so yeah lots of lots of lovely gems in this in this podcast mashallah um so I just have one last question for you which I feel like will I feel like you've mentioned it already in all of the questions that we've asked, but is how, if someone asked you, how do I lead a life of excellence? How would you respond to that question? I, I think and feel a life of excellence is always a life connected to Allah personally. Um, And obviously we, we come from the faith paradigm because the faith is our base um, and our foundation. Um, but a life of excellence is day by day, moment by moment, wanting to make a decision that is in alignment with how you want to, how you want to talk to Allah in the akhirah, you know, what you want to say to him in the akhirah. That for me is a life of excellence. We're not going to get it right all the time. The beautiful thing about that is Tolbert exists and the opportunity to return exists. You know, that that opportunity to turn back to Allah with every fall exists. So excellence doesn't mean perfection. Excellence is doing our very best. Um, and our best in every moment and every day is going to look different based on what we're bringing. So if I've not had sleep the night before, my best is going to look very different from when I've had eight good hours sleep, mm. right? And I can come and say, this is my best. This is, this is the best that I can do. 
my battery is charged at 12%. You know how your, your phone or your yeah. laptop or whatever can run on 12%, right? Mm. Um, and coming with that, that this is the best that I can do and showing up with the best that we can um, with what we have available to us in that, in, in those moments, in that, mm. in that time. And when we, when we fall, when we falter, when we mess up as we are designed to do, to commit, to keep putting that best foot forward in turning to Allah and asking him to, um, to rectify us and help us to be better and do better mm. and to forgive us and pardon us of our nonsense. Um, <laughs> and, and just embrace us in our mm. perfect, imperfect state. MashaAllah. Um, I have just one final question, more for my own selfish reasons, I think. <laughs> um, out of all the, um, so out of all the books, because you mentioned a couple of books where I'm like, mm, I need to get that on Prime today. Um, out of all the books that you've read, uh, in you know, even prior to becoming a self-transformation expert, just generally, which do you think has holds the most weight and value that you know that that you've applied to to your life today? or in your work i would i would say i would say the current book that we're reading in our book club which is um the five archetypes by carrie davidson we uh, it, <laughs> i don't even have the words that's how oh, wow. <laughs> that's how good the book is but it's the the level of self-awareness yeah the, the level of self-awareness that i and and the ladies that we're reading with um have got from that book has been profound and it's been beautiful as we've had our book club meeting to be able to tie it back to Allah in just the beauty and in, in the way he's created us all really differently um and all the same <laughs> um so I would I, I highly recommend that particular book um the five archetypes yeah for sure all right. So where do people find out more about you? Where can they get in contact? How do they access your work and all of that? I mean, all of your main links will be on uh, in the description and our social media posts anyway. But what would you like to mention? How can people get to you? I mean, the best way is to go uh, via the website. So leyenkasani.com. Um, that's the, the best way. I know that some people aren't ready to necessarily work with me. So benefit from whatever is out there in terms of uh on instagram or youtube or wherever else mm. we post um mm. and more so just look it from look at it from the lens of okay i've heard this i've seen this i've read this what is one action or what is one step that i want to take because for me ultimately when i put something out there i want people to take action for themselves and to do something for themselves and not just be mashallah that was really inspirational and toddle off and do and, and do nothing <laughs> you know um but alhamdulillah there are multiple ways to work together if that's what you want to do and, and you can find out about that on the website inshallah okay well i have absolutely loved this podcast mashallah i'm sure a lot of our uh, viewers and listeners have also or will also love it inshallah and i i pray that you are rewarded 
for every single person that you have benefited today and in all your work and for all the minds and the hearts that you've touched from this podcast, inshallah. Ameen. So, it's so lovely speaking to you and for all of our listeners and viewers who have been watching and we'll see you at the next one, inshallah. Take care, everyone. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. for joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And to all of our watchers and listeners who have watched all the way through. Please don't forget to leave your feedback and leave comments below. Your feedback is really important to us, so please let us know how we're doing. If you have any ideas for any future guests, or if you yourself want to be a guest on the Mindful Muslim podcast. We'll see you next time, inshallah. Take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.